Welcome to the Embracing Race podcast. All episodes were recorded in advance, so don't be alarmed if the timeline seems a little bit cattywampus. Welcome to another episode of Embracing Race Conversations with Truth and Intention. And we're excited because we have our friends. Okay, I just want to make sure that we are friends because like we had one episode and I was like, I was like, um, do they, do do your friends call you by a shortened name, right? I don't want to call the guest spot. And she was like, well, my friends call me. I was like, well, am I, are we friends? Because <laughs> I didn't know where to go with that. I was like, my friends call me so-and-so. I was like, am I your friend? Can I call you this? Because I was getting ready to just by nature, just shorten her name. And I was like, that would be rude because <laughs> some people like their whole name. <laughs> like, you know, if your name is Frederick, you might go by Fred and <laughs> so random, but it's just yeah. in my spirit. All that to say, <laughs> Shami's feeling insecure. Are you guys considered her friends? <laughs> I mean, no, I didn't consider her clearing that out, Jesse. <laughs> where I was going. <laughs> All that to say, yes, we're all, all to say, like, here. are we friends? Yes. Okay. So, thank you, Heather and Chris, for coming on today. Um, just to you know, talk, and I, I do want to um, just, uh, just name that you know, this is uh, definitely. I want you to feel comfortable um, as we um, journey along in this conversation, but I think it will be so helpful for our listeners to hear from from your perspective and Jesse why and then Jesse before we get started why don't you talk about why you think it would be helpful because you were kind of like the champion of bringing them on and getting them to say yes (laughs) so for those who are listening um we have Chris and Heather Deacon um Chris Deacon is the pastor at Northwood Presbyterian Church in Silver Spring, he's also the vice moderator of National Capital Presbytery, and his lovely wife, Heather Deacon, is the director of business affairs at National Capital Presbytery. So both super important, influential leaders within our presbytery. They might not say that of themselves, but we believe it and we know it to be true. Um, and the topic that we wanted to bring forth to everybody today was to talk about transracial adoption. Um since it is a little bit of a hot topic um, and how sometimes, especially people who are white, who adopt children of color, can come into a place of white saviorism. And Chris and Heather are both two people who have done serious work in dismantling white supremacy and who are taking it very seriously and who are working to combat that white saviorism. Um, and we kind of just wanted to talk about how they've navigated their adoption journey, um, adopting their child, who is an African-American child, um, and the importance of doing your work and how even if you do adopt a child who is either cross-culturally or cross-racial from you, um, that does not absolve you from the responsibilities that come uh, of ending white supremacy. Um and Heather and Chris are just wonderful people, and we wanted to bring them on to be able to share some of their journey with us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Of course. So I guess their first question for you all would just be, like, how did your adoption journey come to be? Uh, so our path our path um, to our family was not an easy one. Um, we... Uh, we had several sort of um, hard moments right leading up to our family. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of went into it from that perspective. Like it didn't matter, you know, when you, when you go through it, go through adoption, right. Um, you have to fill out all these really uncomfortable questionnaires, right? <laughs> what um, what are you willing to accept? That's how they like to phrase it. Like, what are you willing to accept? And it's, it's literally a checklist and you check off um, health things, race things, um, economic things. You, it, it's, it's not 
it, it, it's it's almost right? it's almost degrading like of yeah, course yeah, I would. Absolutely. yeah exactly i would say and in our like just naive eagerness right to to just start a family we just checked right we're like we'll just yes 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 um and i i would say that at the beginning i'm not sure that we really fully grasped the um the responsibility that comes from like those check marks, mm-hmm. right? That I would say mm-hmm. that for myself, I don't want to speak for Chris, but I know I didn't fully grasp it. Um, and then it was a long wait. It was a long wait with lots of starts and stops um, until, until uh, Hannah was born. Chris, do you want to add anything in there? Sure. I, I was about to say that the checklist was degraded, but also forced us into some uncomfortable, some, but necessary conversations, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as far as race, you know, do we have a community that would be supportive, whether that's friends, family, neighbors uh, with health issues? You know, what are we capable of doing? Uh, what are we you know, willing to, to do? You know, would we accept, uh, you know, someone, you know, with Down syndrome? Would we accept someone with, with uh, a disability world, they'll need care their whole life. Would we, you know, uh, all sorts. And I think we had more conversations about the health than, than the race. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with Heather that we didn't fully comprehend at the time what a, a cross-cultural or interracial adoption would entail. And so now that you've kind of obviously come out, not come out on the other side, there's no such thing as that in parenting. Um, but now that you have a child who is African-American, um, what does that look like having gone through that process of we didn't fully comprehend and now we're here? What does that look like for you now? It's It's been a, a, a continuing journey and it's it's one, you know, we, we, we were reluctant to, to come and speak with y'all, not because we don't love you, not because we don't value the, the important work that we're doing, but because we didn't feel qualified because we are by no means experts and we are still learning each and every day um you know what it means to to raise a, a child of, of a different race than you um you know and i had one uh person who i connected with who said you know if you're going to raise a uh, enter into transracial adoption you need to be prepared to do phd level work mm. and really just study and and dig down um, and that's, you know, we read books on books, we, we talked with friends, and it really led to like completely changing our lives. Uh, when Hannah, our daughter, was born, we lived in a small town in rural Illinois. Uh, I joke that the town had a, a 10-year plan of getting a stoplight. <laughs> it was, a, uh, you know, they were, what, 2,200, 2,300 people, um, mm-hmm. And, and being a pastor, they all knew me the day before I moved in. Um, you know, I was also a volunteer firefighter, but it was also one of the whitest places I'd ever lived. Uh, and when we adopted Hannah, we said, we do not want her to be the Black child. You know, we do not want that to be her identity. And it was also my ministry at, at that particular church was coming to an end. So we started looking and, and saw a church in Prince George's County and thought, this is where we need to be. The church seemed like a match. The region seemed like a match. So we picked up and, and completely, you know, moved everything to, to come here to enable her to be around people she looks like, to enable her to have those racial mirrors, to, to go to a doctor that's Black, a dentist that's Black, uh, you know, to have, you know, not have to drive 45 minutes to go to a, a hair place, um, you know. We talked about that, Chris. Mm-hmm. I, I, I um you know I am sitting here thinking like the the first thing I hear in your answers is humility right like this humble spirit of I want to do what's best for my child which is what every parent you know going into it wants to do right and I feel like um you the two of you made a decision to be uncomfortable rather than having your child be uncomfortable. And I think that, um, I really do think that should be lifted up in your story because more often than not, that's not the case. 
that it, that it, you know, people are are uh, we settle into how you know we feel as adults or individuals and expect the child to live into that, but you did it a different way. And I think um, is that um, just based on like like reading with the materials before or you just knew that like you just it just felt like that was the better way to go I mean I think that it was both right I mean so when you um when you are reading and you're talking to you about their experiences and you're they're hopefully listening right you know you're hopefully um listening to what people are saying and it was always lifted up that um, these children that were adopted into these white families lived in white places and they didn't know how to connect with, with who they were. They didn't know how to navigate those spaces. Um, and, and I think we just thought there's so many things that we aren't going to be able to give and do, right? I, I can't give and do a lot of things. So what are the places that we can like, what are the places that we can? And it, it felt like moving to a different place was easy. When you looked at all the things you can't do, this was an easy thing that we can do. Um, so I think it came from both, both from reading, but also just listening to, to you know, people's lived experiences. Yeah, I would add to that, you know, uh, reading, uh, going with, with instinct and uh, you know, some of the, the social justice work we'd done and, and you know, talking with our, our friends of color, uh, but also networking, like, especially in the beginning, Facebook, we found some very valuable groups um, that that groups of transracial uh, adoptive families, uh, groups that, that were designed to help you live more into to Black culture, aimed at, at white families, um, I remember one of the, the the biggest moments for me was Hannah was one or two days old. We were still in the hospital with her and they were coming in and out and getting her for various tests. And this one uh, young black nurse came in uh, with, with a white nurse to get her for something. And she stopped and you could tell she was a little uncomfortable, a little reluctant. And then she said, would you like me to give you some hair tips? And we're like, yes, please. And, and, <laughs> I remember very little about what she said, except like no chemicals until she's old enough to de- decide for herself. Um, but it's like, we we can't do this on our own. We need to build community. We need to network. We need to, to tap into, you know, the networks we have. Um, but we also need to be willing to do the work and not uh, rely on the emotional labor of, of our friends who are Black and people of color. My that's so funny because my very first job, I worked at this bake shop in my small town. I was the only black girl. And um, so I was probably like 15 or 16. I was the dishwasher there. And the the bake shop was run by an uh, interracial couple. And um, I used to think that my supervisor didn't like me. She was the baker, but she only came in on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But every time she would come, she would stare at me. She just stare, right? And then finally, uh, I was on my break and I was um I was drinking. I, I loved her. She had the best uh peanut butter blossoms, and we could eat all the baked goods we wanted to um while we were on the clock, but we had to pay for like food 50% off. So I would I would uh get full off peanut butter blossoms. And Barb came up to me one day and she's like. I know you're probably thinking I'm crazy because I keep looking at you, but I've been so scared to ask you this question. And I'm like, what's the question? She's like, I don't know how to do Lainey's hair. And Lainey was her two-year-old, right? And she had she had an older son, but his hair didn't come out like Lainey's hair, right? It mm-hmm. was just a whole different texture. And I was like, oh, girl, I got you. That's so funny. So like from like the next two years until I went away to college, I I helped her do her daughter's hair. It was so funny. But yeah. And well, and, I'm and, not and this is an area of ignorance for me is I, I didn't realize the, the cultural significance of, of especially black women's hair. Um, mm-hmm. So that that was uh, 
you know, and, and I'm going to give props to Heather. Like she has gone above and beyond to, to learn. She styles Heather's or Hannah's hair most of the time. She braids it. She, you know, she knows all the, the different names. I don't, I, I tried and, and, and it was very tender headed. And I was the, the daddy. I'm like, well, I, I can't hurt my little girl. And, you know, <laughs> um, you know we, we do take her to get her hair done several times a year, just more for the cultural experiences as anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Heather started styling. She's taken classes. She's read books. She had a, a friend come over and the first time Hannah's hair was braided, her friend braided it and showed Heather how to do it. And then Heather took it over. And, uh, you know, it's been been a process. Uh, what was that like for you, Heather? Can you talk about that? Like, yeah, I mean, so I can be really honest, right? Like, um, we want you to be very honest. <laughs> I know. Well, and it's one of those things, like, I, it's one of those moments, like, I'm not proud of, but I hope it shows growth, right? And that's what we want to do, like, to show that you can grow. Um, I remember we had, we had several adoptions um, that, that, that didn't work out before Hannah. We never had any children placed in our homes. We had several, um, several that didn't quite work out. And I remember talking with one of my friends before when we thought we were going to get uh, a baby and we, we didn't know that we were going to go find out the sex of the child. Right. And um, uh, <laughs> we were, we were walking the track. We were walking. And I was like, one of the things I'm really, you know, worried about if it's a girl is like, I won't be able to like sit there and French braid her hair and put it in pigtails. And, um, you know, I just, I, and, and so that was, that was where I started. Right. Um, and, and then when they put Hannah in my arms, <laughs> uh, I, I, I just, I realized how silly that was because Hannah and I spent a lot of time. I do all kinds of things with Hannah's hair and, um, it was, it's super intimidating, right? But it's also like that thing that you have to do. It's like I made a commitment to be Hannah's mom. And there's a lot of things, again, that I can't do. But I sure can send her to school with her hair done and people not say, well, there's that child with white parents who don't know how to take care of her hair, right? So it means like people come up to me in the store and they give me advice and I just take it, right? Like, thank you, right? Like, like thank you. I appreciate everything. And it means like asking questions when when you don't want to seem silly, but who benefits from me asking questions? Mm-hmm. Anna does. Who benefit who who doesn't benefit from me keeping my mouth shut? Like it mm-hmm. just hurts Hannah. Um so it just have to get used to being uncomfortable. It's been intimidating, yeah. but it's also been a thing that we've been able to connect over, right? Like Hannah Great. sits in between my legs and I I I do her hair. Um and and I just think back to when I was afraid that I wouldn't have that and just how like how silly that was mm-hmm. because we have that. That's awesome. So people come to you, come up, strangers come up to you in the store and tell you how to do her hair. Oh, wow. oh yes. Yeah. Strangers I- come up to us all the time and have all kinds of things to say to us. Uh, the, the things that have been said to us are many, many, many. Can you talk about them? Are you comfortable talking about them? You don't have to if you don't want to. I, I would say from my experience, and, and, you know, they've been more positive than negative. Okay. Uh, you know, I, especially from the, the Black community here, you know, I, I always get a little apprehensive when, when someone approaches us, obviously wanting to say something. Um, you know, I know, I remember one time very clearly we we're waiting for a metro. I can't remember what we were doing. We we're in, in D.C. heading home and this older Black gentleman came up and goes, is that your daughter? And I was like, Yes, sir. He goes, I just want to say, I think this is absolutely beautiful and, and thank you. And and so I, I get that sentiment more than, than anything else. Um, but that's my personal experience. And Heather may have had other things. Yeah, I mean, I think people stop up in the store. Oh, your her hair looks so pretty. Do you do it? Right. You know, did you people don't believe that I that I that I do it. Um and and I and I do, right? And I just, you know, yep, I did it. Thank you. Um we I mean there have been times that it hasn't, you know, people don't have nice things to say, or they have well-intentioned things to say that mm-hmm. are absolutely offensive. Um, uh, you know, we had what, what a lucky little girl to have you as her parents. Yeah. Um, 
Um, and we're like, well, you know, we feel like we're pretty lucky, but there's a lot in there. Right. And that's, right. you know, that's what we try. And that's usually, that's usually my response. We feel like we're the lucky ones, but there's a whole lot in there. Um, not because I, I want to like start something with somebody in the, in the, in the milk aisle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want them to understand that there is a lot more involved in this than just someone being lucky. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's really not what this is about. And, and I, I always try to respond. I don't always, but most of the time I try to respond gracefully and, and, and try to look at their intentions rather than, but every once in a while, I'll just have had enough. And I remember one time, uh, Hannah was little, she's, she's maybe a year old and we went to Costco and came here for a stay in line, but this older white woman came up and she goes, oh, she is just beautiful. Is she for sale or something to the extent? And I just looked at her and said, or, or where can I get one? And I said, ma'am, it's been illegal to sell black people in this country for a long, uh, for a long time. And she was, that's not what I, I, and then she kind of just slunked away, you know. That's just wild. Sometimes people don't know what to say. I don't even know. So you just, I don't just even know say what nothing. Say. You don't just know what to say. Just right. keep your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it costs you nothing to be quiet. Right. Mm-hmm. And Hannah hears, right? That's the thing also that we have to be aware of. Hannah hears how we react in those situations. And so we're teaching her. Mm-hmm. In those moments as well. Yeah. So how what does that look like for you all? Because as her parents, I imagine in moments like that where people say stupid, disgusting things in front of your child and you are trying to like keep your cool, but your instinct is to just like lose your damn mind or lose your shit mm-hmm. on them. Like, how do you navigate those spaces when you when you want to lose your shit on somebody how do you how do you how do you not do that asking as a parent looking for advice how do you not do that (laughs) i mean for for me and i can't speak for heather um and she's better at not losing her shit than i am um although i I tend to do it more subtly and snarky and just like i'm gonna put you in your place but i'm gonna say it with a smile on my face it's (laughs) a southern bless your heart um I remember that Heather or Hannah is sitting there watching and learning everything. I try to remember that hopefully they're coming from a place of good intention and they just lack education. And I was there at one point, uh, maybe not the extreme of some of the dumbass stuff that some people have said, but uh, you know, I, I'm on a, a continual journey of growth and, and learning and, you know, they're at just a different starting point. Um, and and I would also say that there have also been times where I just open my mouth. <laughs> and like and Hannah needs to see that too, right? Like yeah. that I'm also not afraid to say, do we have a problem? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I and I and and you can say that in a way that is respectful, but also lets people know that you're not just gonna take what's being dished out mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but a, a, an important important con- uh, component of that is something both heather and i've started doing is, as hannah's gotten older it's understanding more not just hearing more once we're in the car or wherever we say you know do you want to talk about this what are you mm-hmm. feeling you know and and try to engage her in conversation so it's a place of growth for her as well i love it can we um just talk about like how how was it like um I guess um, getting like your family, like what, what, did you have any resistance there once once Hannah came home or did you have to let them know beforehand or did you just say, guess who's coming home for to dinner? <laughs> like, was it kind of that like a surprise well, encounter or? It, in many ways, it was a surprise. We've been in a, the adoption journey for a while. Uh, we found out that, uh, Hannah's first mother had chosen us to adopt three days before Hannah was born. Okay. Um, and, and we, we did let our families know, but other than that, we kept under wraps because as Heather said, we had several uh, adoptions fall through for different reasons and we shared those publicly. And then it was very hard to go afterwards and say, it's not happening. They changed their mind. They're going to parent, they're going to go with another family, you know, whatever reason. 
so we it wasn't widespread, but you know, we had a few close friends and our family knew, and um, everyone else learned uh, the day she was born. Like it's like, all right, this is actually happening. Um, so we we did talk to our family before. There was uh, little resistance. Um, you know, there was some education that had to go on afterwards. And again, it's just, you know, ignorance and learning. This wasn't just family. This was friends. It's like, no, you, yes, I know that, that, yeah, monkey onesie is really cute, but, you know, you are not buying that for our daughter or we will not accept that. Or, oh, yeah, that's cute. It's got watermelons over it. No way. You know, yes, my, my nephew wore something exactly like it. That's different. People mm-hmm. don't see that and assume anything where, with a black child that people might read into it or, or it just reinforces uh, racial stereotypes, racial tropes that we don't want you know, her to have to deal with. And it's easily avoided. Um, mm-hmm. So some of those things, you know, educational wise, uh, Heather, did you have anything to add or? No, I mean, I was just going to say, I think the education pieces um, was, was big and just, uh, you know, ongoing. Right. Um, because I don't think anyone that is currently in our lives now um, comes from anything but really well-intentioned places. Um, but that can, you know, you still have to be cognizant that you can hurt people from a well-intentioned place, right? Um, and we we're, we have fantastic family relationships um, with the people in our lives right now. Um, and so I don't think of any of them as unsafe, right? But also the folks that we do consider to be unsafe aren't a part of our life anymore, right? And mm-hmm. And that's that's that line um, that we that we drew. And I guess it goes back. Oh, go ahead, Jesse. Okay. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say it just goes back to the uh, what you said earlier, Heather, about who benefits from this decision, mm-hmm. right? Um, oh, this is beautiful. How do you create those boundaries in your life? Of like, what does that look like, especially for people that you trust or whatever? Um, like, even in my life as a queer parent, it's not the same thing, but like bringing people into your life that's going to be around your son or your child or whatever it is um, that are unsafe. How do how do you navigate those spaces of saying, no, this is a clear boundary. I'm not going to let you put my child in a space that they don't feel safe around you. How do you navigate that? I mean, I would say that I think a lot of it depends on the situation, right? Um, and if uh, if we think that there's a, you know, if it's a, if, and I don't want to say that this is a situation, but hypothetically speaking, if we were, uh, if we were at, um, at, at, at church, right, and there was someone that we thought to be uh, unsafe, then we're just not going to put our child in a position where there's going to be like interactions or one-on-one interactions, right? At this point in our life, we can just be present. So our present al- presence alone can can be a boundary. And then for, for situations where just a person is unsafe, we just have to say, we're not going to be a part of this, right? <laughs> we're just, that we're just not, I think you should do, it is situational. And I, for me, I think often we do it by presence, right? Um, and then we're not going to invite someone that we consider to be unsafe to have a diff have a have a deeper relationship with our family, right? So once we've mm-hmm. identified you as an unsafe person, your access is going to be stopped, right? We're mm-hmm. not we're just not going there. Right. Um, I don't know, Chris, if you have and, anything to add there. Sure, I'm, and it's it's changed over the years. Uh, you know, when we lived in Illinois, there were a lot more unsafe people. Um, yeah, you know, I, I was a volunteer firefighter, and the only time I've almost gotten to a fight as an adult was with another firefighter who was making racist comments three weeks after Hannah was born. And we were all standing outside, and, and he said something, and I just looked at him. I said, you want to repeat that? And he looked at me and did. I said, would you like me to go get my daughter and bring her, and you could say it to her? And he's like, well, yeah, sure, why not? And, like, you know, he could tell by the way I kind of – reacted you know he's like oh well maybe not you know and you know i finally just took a deep breath and and walked away and you know said well that's one family that you know is not going to be around hannah anymore and and 
he did later come up and apologize after some of his extended family was like, oh, I'm sorry for him. That's just how he is. And, and he came up and said, you know, I, I really am sorry. I thought about it and that was, you know, uncalled for and not right. And, yeah, I, I wish he was apologizing, you know, because he was being a piece of shit racist. But uh, instead of like being a racist to someone with a black child, uh, which I think he was really apologizing for. But then since moving to, to Prince George's County, you know, we were, we're able to build a much safer community. Like uh, a significant number of our friends are, are black. Uh, you know, many of, I'd say most of Hannah's friends, you know, 75% are, are black. And, and that's not to say that, you know, every black family is safe, but you, you don't have to worry about some of the same things. Uh, so because it's, it's more of a, a safer community. Yeah. And I think there has to be, I mean, we have to hold, I'm all about transparency here. And I think also, you know, even within Black families and communities, there is, you know, I wouldn't call us racist, but there is some bias and prejudices. And a lot of Mm -hmm. people have, you know, strong opinions on um, white people adopting Black children in particular, right? That's like a big deal. Not quite sure. Um, I can't really speak on the whys in that. Like, I didn't really do research, but I do understand to an extent because there's no, um, for the for the people that have had arguments that were reasonable in my mind of not educating themselves on or not putting their children in spaces where they could see diversity and only having one lens, I could see where the, there would be a complaint on that. I also um, do also understand how, um, and you guys could probably speak more about that because I've never adopted anybody, but I do know that the adoption process is very, very hard. <laughs> um, and it's very hard to even, it's much easier. Um, and I don't know why. Do you know why it's easier for um, for white couples to get children outside their own race? Is it yeah. more it, quicker? It, but you said the process was long regard, and, mm-hmm. and it was still a long process. But is that why people go to Korea or what have you? I, I don't know. Is that, can you speak on that? I, I mean, I, I we briefly talked about international adoption, but we decided very quickly against it. Okay. Um, as as far as why it's uh, quicker to get a, a black child or a, a Hispanic child than a white child, it sounds terrible, but it's because more people want white ch- children, and there are people that when they get that checklist will check only white, and mm-hmm. it's supply and demand. For I, I hate putting that term on people, but uh, for lack of a better term, that's what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. And they said the the more the more things you have checked on that checklist, the quicker it's going to happen okay. uh, because it eliminates, you know, each check is, oh, well, that's a, a child that you might've been chosen for, but won't be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, building on that, I think that there's a huge amount of racism that's built and baked into that, right? Uh, when you have um, historic, you have a population that has historically been mistreated and and um and not given access to resources right then that that's just there right that is just that is just a piece of it um and then adoption happens in the black community all the time right it just doesn't happen through all of the paperwork right right and so i think we have to name that as a thing as well um and it's expensive to adopt so again we have who has had access to privilege, right? In this situation to have the resources to be able to, to navigate that system. It, it is a system that is deeply rooted in um, white privilege and, and racism, right? On both sides of it. It's, it's, it's baked all the way through it. Mm-hmm. And I think to not name that as what it is, right? Even though our family has, you know, our little family unit has benefited from it, right? Like we have our child, we have a family because of it. Um, it still has to be acknowledged, right? Mm-hmm. That that's there. And that's a piece of it, a huge piece. 
thank y'all for coming to talk about this because I just think that it will help people that might even be on the like verge of maybe thought about it and like, what do you need to do and how do you prepare yourself? And um, I, you know, I appreciate the hesitance, the, uh, um, the, uh, you know, the pause on wanting to make sure that this was the right thing to do. And then finally saying, yes, I do. Thank you for your yes. Jesse, you have any questions? I just keep thinking about, (laughs) there's this, this clip that I saw not long ago, um, of Sandra Bullock, who did an interview, who has two adopted black children, um, speaking very candidly about the fact that, and emotionally as well, that she has this insight um, that millions of white mothers, she spoke from a mother's perspective, but millions of white parents don't have of, of raising black children and having this perspective that for hundreds of years, black mothers and black fathers and black parents have had to live with this scary um, experience of, of raising their children in a world that doesn't appreciate them or love them. And they've, the phrase that she used was that, they, that they've never been able to settle into motherhood or parenthood. Um, and I wanted to know if any of that resonated with you, uh, especially, you know, in the last three years, especially since, since George Floyd passed. But I mean, Hannah's 10 years old. 10? Just turned 10 on Sunday. Yeah, 10 years old, the last decade or so has been rife with racial tension, um, even in our backyard in Baltimore. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. how does, how do you, how do you, how have you all settled into parenthood? Or have you settled into parenthood? (laughs) I mean, I I feel like I've settled into parenthood. I, I, I feel like, you know, being Hannah's father is a key defining factor of who I am at this time. Um, it's not the one, but it's one of, of many. Like if I were going to pick identifiers, like, all right, give us four traits that tell us who you are. That would be one of them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been difficult. We've had to have some difficult conversations and, uh, you know, you hear about families having to have the talk with their kids, uh, not, not the sex talk, but like black families, when they have the talk, it's, you know, about police and, and safety and, you know, that was difficult for us because, you know, we were raised, you know, white privilege, you know, oh, the cops are there to help you, the cops, and trying to to balance that versus what's going on around us and that Hannah is going to be at risk in a way that we were not. Uh, and then, you know, complicating that is, is one of our, our great friends uh, and her best friend's dad is a, a black police officer. So in some ways that helped. Uh, but after George Floyd's death, uh, we took Hannah to a, a rally uh, in Bowie that I was speaking at that um, uh, organization I'm part of helped to, to organize and, and invited one of her. She wanted to invite one of her friends and, and he came, a, a white child, white parents, and afterwards, he was just in tears, like inconsolable. He just didn't understand. He hadn't been exposed to it. He didn't you know why are they saying Black Lives Matter? What about white lives? What what happened to this person? What? And he just hadn't been exposed to that. Where you know we have had no choice but to address it. Like we we've tried to be very cognizant of Hannah's consent her maturity and her level to engage. So we did not bring up race until she started to notice it and bring it up. Mm. Um, even, even before we came on here, we said, Hannah, we've been asked to be on a podcast. Uh, and luckily she was just interviewed for a podcast like a week or two ago. Uh, and so she, she, she knew what that was. And I said, but it's about being your parents, about being white parents of a black daughter. Are you okay? Is there anything you don't want us to tell? Would you rather us refer to you by your name or as our daughter, you know, ask her and she's, we talked about it. She gave us permission because it's more her story than our story. Um, and so, I think it's yeah, a test. Oh, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Uh, so, so we've had, you know, all sorts of, you know, conversations that, that families of the same race do not have to have. 
we, we've had the, the nights when she wakes up crying saying she wants to be white um, because her parents are white. Mm-hmm. And we talked through that. And I remember telling her, and this really blew her mind and it really kind of brought things to perspective. I said, well, sometimes I wish I was black. And she goes, what? Why? I said, because I'm raising a black daughter and I don't know what it's like to be black. Mm. I can't be there for you. I can't show up for you in that way. So I, I also recognized in this interview of how great your communication is between the two of you and then how <laughs> the way you communicate. Like um, one of the things, I just want to lift it up maybe because I didn't do this in my marriage and I was like, oh, this is a tip. So when I get when I get married again, I don't want to speak for you, Chris, and I don't want to speak for Heather. I love that. And then you put, and then you're like, Hannah, is there anything you don't want us to share? I just love the way that y'all talk to each other. It's so mature. <laughs> so many ways. Well, thank I love you. It. I don't know what yeah. else to say. <laughs> No, I, I thought we were friends and now you're throwing around years. words like mature. <laughs> 20 plus years of practice to, to get there. Yeah. Oh, how long have y'all been? Uh, 20 years in May. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so like just to piggyback on what Chris said, um, I think that the added layer for our family in that has been that when we talk to Hannah about this, then she looks at us and she says, but you're white, right? And so just having to be able to hold space for, yeah, how, you know, and that makes us hard, right? Because we we don't know um, what it's like and, but we aren't going to hurt you. You know what I mean? Like those type of, those type of um, things, that's just naturally where a kid's mind goes. So that's just that, that kind of added layer on there. Um, that's real for our family. And I think the way we just sort of navigated it, kind of what you said, Shawnee, is just have space to like let to say how you're feeling. Like mm-hmm. just have to know that it's okay to feel those things and to be confused by it. Cause yeah, we're confused by it too sometimes. <laughs> right? we, like we definitely there have been moments where I'm like, I have reacted really wrong to this situation. Mm-hmm. Um and wish I could go, do it over again, right? right. Like I want to do over. I know better and I want to do over. Can we do it again? <laughs> yeah. What is what is your advice or or even just like what do you all do? Um because being a parent is heavy in and of itself. Um when you have those emotional moments and Shawnee, I I would love to hear your perspective too. Um, of like, this is just too much. How do I, how do I do this? How do I parent in this moment? Um, where do you all go in those, in those times? Great liquor store. No, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, why? You know, for, for me, I, I, Heather's the first place I go. Mm. When when Hannah and I have had a difficult conversation or a difficult experience, uh, you know, we will wait till Hannah's asleep or not around. And we will, you know, I will say, you know, I want to first to inform her in case, you know, some of those underlying issues come her way as well. Um, But also just to talk through it and to, to parse out, you know, Okay, I, I handled this okay. I, I could learn to do better here. Uh, and and the community we built, we depend a lot on, on them. Mm-hmm. I know for me, um, I have really tried, I, I realized that my my life experience is so vastly different from my kids. Um, I grew up in small town America. Um, you know, uh, we went to the Rotary Club on Thursdays because my grandfather was a member and had spaghetti dinners for five bucks, right? <laughs> That's my childhood. And so to live in, in you know, in D.C. for the past 25 years and to raise all of my children here is just a different 
life experience. And I remember, um, you know, uh, I wasn't going to bring this up, even though it came to my mind when you were talking earlier, Chris, about not having to talk about um, you, you guys have to have conversations that Black families don't. Not the same type of conversation, but I remember my 14-year-old when she was five wanted to be white. And because she was the lightest one in the house. Mm. So she used to think that she was white. Um, And so just to, and I don't think I'm really (laughs) looking back on it. I don't know if I handled that situation like right at the you know like it was like I was more like but why you know instead of coming from a place I was like you'll never be white like I was like (laughs) but I probably should have been a little more empathetic like you know ask the probing questions I don't think I was a coach back then so I didn't have that skill set but I but but I, I I I do remember saying to Michaela at the time I said but Black is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It comes in different shades, right? But this is after, like, I'm like, you'll never be white. <laughs> like, and I was just like, so crazy. But, um, and, and then, but what it did, what I, what that experience taught me is that I needed to do more of reinforcing what my mother did, and I think my mother, looking back on it, I think she did a a more intentional job because I was the only Black girl, because I didn't have any representation. So my mother overemphasized Blackness in my house. And I've never really felt like I needed to do that because we were always around Black people. But I think it still starts at home. Like, I still think you need that confidence built in at home. Mm-hmm. So then it can it can translate into something greater going on and so i so i start i literally i was intentional i started changing the artwork in our house i started to so she could see light light skin black women that looked like her right so she could see her grand her grandmother was light skin right like this like it just didn't come out of a like it just wasn't poof right? It's, it's a reason why your skin is like this, right? This wasn't accidental. And I needed to let her know that so that she could be, so that she could feel good in her skin, right? Um, does that answer your question, Jesse? Because I don't know if I did. I just wanted to know. <laughs> I just wanted to know. And I, I mean, I think I think celebrating your children in general, like I know for me, we tell Toby all the time, like, Tobes, you're awesome. We love you. And I know, uh, Heather, you're really good about about doing this. And like, obviously, I know, Chris, you are too. But my experience is being in person with Heather, when Hannah would come to the office throughout the day, like multiple times a day, anytime Heather would leave or come into her office and Hannah was there, multiple times a day it would just be a, a pause in the conversation to say hey you're awesome hey i love you hey you're great hey you're amazing and it was a four-hour increment of time and the number of times that you said i love you or you're awesome or hey you're amazing like i can't even count them and i think that repetition of reinforcing that love of you are amazing you are wonderful hey i love you so much hey you're such a great kid like yeah. that repetition, I think kids need to hear that, especially with everything that's going on in the world right now. Like mm-hmm. I, I modeled how I react with my child b- based on how you reacted with Hannah of like that positive reinforcement constantly. Yeah. Um, so she has now told me that she'd like me to not say those things out. So much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's reached that age. <laughs> That was that was the the revelation that got shared this weekend. Um, so I don't know. That'll be hard for me. It, it, it would just be great to just like kind of normalize, like normalize what families look like. Normalize, you know, even for you, Jesse. Like normalize 
you know, a trans, a trans family and all, all of that. Right. And, um, and trans non-binary, whatever. And it, it reminds me of this, this movie that just recently came out, knock at the, knock at the cabin. And the two main characters is a, is a, 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 a gay couple and the little girl, um, the little girl is playing and she meets somebody. I won't give the movie away if y'all into uh, M. Night Shyamalan's movies. But anyway, um, so the, the guy says, so when you have two dads? And she says, yeah, but it's like no big deal. <laughs> that, you know, dad, Eric and dad, Andrew. Like she's like, but it's no big deal. But everybody makes it a big deal, including my teacher. Every time she sees me, she says, when I can't believe you have two dads. <laughs> and the seven-year-old is like teaching us in the movie theater like let's normalize what it means like there's no nuclear family stop like we don't even take home ec anymore right that's where you learn that like the nuclear family and home economics they don't even take it so let, let's get rid of it mm-hmm. well and and i i look to, to children to see our you know hope for so many of the societal issues you know, one example is before COVID, you know, both Heather and I would volunteer in Hannah's classroom, uh, especially when she's in kindergarten, because the teacher had way too many students. And we were both there. I was there once a week. Were you there once or twice a week? I was there once a week. I was there on Thursday. So we were both there once a week. And like her classmates, when they would find out that, you know, I can't speak for Heather, but when they find out that's her dad, they're like, but you're white. I, I don't know why, why is that? And they had so many questions, but they were coming from such an honest place and they really wanted to learn. And, you know, we talked about it and they just accepted it. Um, you know, Hannah, I look at, uh, you know, Jesse, when, when we first started uh, getting close, I would uh, misgender you. I'd use she on accident a couple of times. Um, and like, I remember once Heather and I were in the living room talking, Hannah was in the playroom and I was, uh, you'd come up and I was like, oh, wh- wh- what's she doing? And Hannah goes, they, dad, it's they. And it's like, <laughs> he gets it. I, you know, I'm you yeah. know, middle-aged <laughs> white dude. I'm, 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 I'm learning, but she gets it. And, you know, she was teaching me. So it's like just coming from these places of I honesty and wanting to learn and uh, even not being afraid to correct us when we're in the wrong. Yeah. Yes, because this generation is on it. Like Michaela is always, every time I misgender someone, she corrects me every single time. And it was funny because the first time they met Jesse and I was saying something about, yeah, Jesse, they, um, and they had not met. I don't, have my kids met you in person yet? I don't think they have, right? So, but, so, but Michaela never forgets a name. So she's like, um, Jesse, Jesse goes by they, them. I said, yes. She said, that's what's up. (laughs) (laughs) I remember meeting Hannah the first time and the conversation that came out of that of you asking me, Heather, what my prefix was. Uh, It's not miss and it's not Ms. It's not Mrs. So what do you want to be called? And that came from Hannah. That wasn't from Heather. It was, what do I call Jesse? And it's mix, M-I-M-X. And ever since then, it, we've known each other for almost two years now. They, she, Hannah still calls me mix Jesse. Uh, and, and like never has messed up once. It's I love like, it. And that came from her, which is so awesome. Like yeah. that, that she thought, well, I can't call her. I can't call them miss. Like that's, that's right. not okay. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> I they had just that. learned about prefixes, like in school too. Like it had just so the timing was perfect, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, mom, you gotta help me here. I don't know what to say. You know, I was like, I don't either, but I'm gonna ask, <laughs> and I'm gonna let you know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I don't even use prefixes. Like, I don't. I don't and then know. there's there's some people that use two, like or Reverend Doctor. Christy. Oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, if you're a do- if you're a Reverend Doctor, you should. I just feel like yeah, just own right. that shit. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I mean, come on now. Well, we I thank mean, y'all for. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go 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 go. I was gonna say, born and raised in the South, right? There's just some things that are hard for me. I'm like, we don't call adults by their first names. Like, you gotta yeah. put something in there. <laughs> yeah. I, 
I totally agree. I mean, like I, it was so funny because I was just talking to my best friend yesterday because um, I was like, you call, cause she called my mother Pat. One this was here. And I was like, her name is Miss Pat. And then my mother, <laughs> my mother says, no, Shawnee, Nicole could call me Pat. And I was, I was so upset because I wouldn't, I could never call her mother Ruth. It had to be Miss Ruth. It could not be anything other than, so, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've reached that point in our interview. We've had a lot of deep conversations. Now we get to do some lighthearted stuff. And there's two of you. So you've watched right. the, watched or listened to the podcast. So you might have your answers ready to go. So I added one extra question for you. There are now 12 questions. All right. Rapid fire. Don't think about it. Just talk. Just say it. Go to beverage. Coffee. Milo's diet sweet tea. Diet sweet tea and coffee. Is that what you said, Heather? All right. Favorite streaming platform. Uh, we we hit them, them all. Um, I don't know. Whatever, <laughs> whatever I'm watching at uh, the time is on. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I like Disney because it gives us the Marvel and Star Wars, Hulu. I like to rewatch old shows. Uh, Peacock, we just got into uh, Yellowstone. Um, so, I mean, we, we kind of hit them all depending. Netflix has some great kid stuff, some original kid stuff that they're putting out that's been fantastic. Um, I know which one is not my favorite. Can that be the question? Yeah, you can. <laughs> least, least favorite streaming platform. Go. <laughs> so not because of content, but HBO Max, because their 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 ability to like not crash, like it crashes all the time. Yes, it crashes 100%. So that yes. is my least favorite, HBO Max, but only because it crashes, not because of the content. Yes, 100%. Um, <laughs> I know the answer to this one. Spotify or Apple Music? Uh, neither I don't know either I use Amazon music Amazon I listen to podcasts on Stitcher and um, and audiobooks and Audible and NPR <laughs> I'm such a nerd <laughs> fun fact you can listen to our podcast on Audible too um, just going to plug that real quick uh, I know the answer and, to this one and Amazon music and Amazon music um, I know the answer to this one iPhone or Android? Android. Android. Yeah, I know. Uh, Disney or Nickelodeon? <laughs> Disney. Yep. Both of you. Concert or comedy show? Ah. Mm. Ah, they're, they're both too expensive now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we, we were going to try to go see Beyonce, and tickets were $300 a piece. And then we're like, all right, we'll, we'll do a comedy show instead. And, and uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler are coming. Those tickets were two fifty a piece, and we're yeah. like, all right, we're staying home and watching our favorite streaming network. Right. HBO Max. I guess I'm going to say comedy only because I feel like I can watch that at home. Right, that's going to yeah. translate better at home than a concert would. And okay. right now, we can't afford to go to either up there. <laughs> all right, leftover pizza. Are you going to heat it up or eat it cold? Cold. Heat it up. Uh. What is something that gives you hope? The kids. I, I talked about yeah. that a minute ago. Yeah. Uh, what's one goal that you each have for the year? Throw away stuff. Mm. I, I uh, got a, a subscription to, to Babbel, and I've been doing uh, short Spanish lessons each morning, trying to, to grow and learn. That's good. It'll help you in your ministry too, don't you? Doesn't Northwood share exactly. space? That's mm -hmm. awesome. Um, what's one fun fact that we should know about you? you guys, gotta be quicker than this. It's so, rapid fire. I, I, I don't say, all right. <laughs> everything. Uh, all right. That's so uh, this is a, a, a deep fun fact. Um, my great grandmother was a missionary to Africa. Nice. Uh, to Ghana, to Kenya, to, to many different places. Throughout her travels, she met a young man. She was super impressed with him. She got some of her missionary friends together. They got together. They sponsored him. They helped him to move to the United States. They helped him enroll in university. 
while he was there, he got married, had a child, and that child became our 44th president. What? What? Yeah, she's, she's mentioned in Dreams of Our Father, which is actually where I learned that story. Wow. That's pretty cool, Chris. Holding back on the daggone info. <laughs> You just happen to have an Obama connection, but okay, let's just wait for the end for that one. Um, it's a very loose generational connection. Doesn't get him anywhere, trust me. <laughs> just a fun fact. Right. In fact, my mom had a, a nativity set that her great-grandmother brought back from one of her mission trips, and she tried to send it to Obama when he was in the White House. She knew someone who worked in the West Wing with just a note and saying kind of like, oh, yeah, you mentioned my, you know, my grandmother in this and and couldn't get it to him. Like they wouldn't mm-hmm. let it through security. And so so now we've got it in the note and displayed every year at Christmas. And Very cool. Uh, best part of being a parent. The giggles. Mm. I was about saying, just watching her grow and learn and, and develop as a person, and, and what a fantastic person she is. Very good. All that potential, right? Like, mm-hmm. ah. And what does love mean to you? Ah, mm. uh, peace and like acceptance, right? But just. Peace and acceptance. I, I can, you know, as a pastor, I want to go like Corinthians 13. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. that, but that's the, the easy. I mean, love is everything. I mean, that is love is who we are. Love is what we we're created to do. Love is, is everything. Meeting the people the where they answers. are. It's a, yeah. <laughs> What'd you say, Heather? That he gives the best answers. I like how he pauses for me to go first and I'm like, uh, something super shallow. And he's like, here's the, here's the big stuff. <laughs> Peace and acceptance was a good answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> you know, it's not everything, but it's, it's good answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we really appreciate you both coming on, uh, taking some time out of your day and talking about a very important topic to both of you and being vulnerable with us. Um, and we hope that everybody who is listening um, has gotten something out of it. And um, if you need resources, we will try to provide them. Um, but make sure you're doing your own work too, because they did. So One, one of the, the best pieces of advice that, that we were given uh, is if you think about adopting transracially, reach out to a friend of that race. If you don't have any friends of that race, don't adopt transracially. Mm. Mic drop at the end. Pause. Time to hear from our sponsors. The Embracing Race podcast is sponsored by the Gen Out Youth Chorus. Gen Out is an outreach ensemble of the Gay Men's Chorus of Washington, D.C. Gen Out's mission is to give young LGBTQ plus and allied youth a voice to connect to the community. The ensemble is open to all singers between the ages of 13 and 18. For more information, contact www.gmcw.org. Isn't it our hope that we could come together as a society across the chasm of race and become the beloved community that Dr. King imagined? Interwoven Congregation's mission is to organize and support partnerships between faith communities with different racial compositions in order to foster racial justice and healing. For more information, visit interwovencongregations.org. HOD Records. It is not HOD, but it is HOD. No periods in between. HOD Records is a talent and artist development company that specializes in 
artistry development and contact creation. Serving the DMV and beyond, HOD creates a family-centered management style that promotes a collaborative spirit. Check out HOD Records on all social media platforms and visit hodrecords.media for more information. Thank you all to our sponsors. The Embracing Race podcast, hosted by elders Shawnee McElwain and Jesse Littlejohn, tackles all topics from pop culture to faith and the intersectionality of white supremacy and racism. Nothing is off limits, as we hope to educate and transform with radical love. For more information, visit us at embracingrace.online or on Instagram at embracing underscore race underscore podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you'd like to submit a comment or question, please email embracingracepodcast at gmail.com.